In the mid-1980s, the world was on the verge of a nuclear war. In anticipation of the Cold War becoming a hot war, the Illuminati built a secret base full of magic and technology a full century beyond what the rest of the world had, hiding under a goat farm in northern Oregon. Eventually, the threat of war between the East and West disappeared, and the Illuminati mothballed the installation. In the year 2012, the leaders of the Illuminati left the world, and the installation was completely abandoned and forgotten. In 2020, said installation was discovered by a group of nerds and goat farmers. Uh, I don't think goats are supposed to glow that color. What colors are goats supposed to glow, Dave? They began to use this advanced technology to start a podcast. Based on the three F's of nerdism, fiction, fandom, facts. The concept of the waterbed was invented by science fiction writer Robert E. Heinlein. Buckle in for the amazing adventures, thrilling stories, and unrestrained fun. Is that a zombie? Yep. Is that a flamethrower? Yep. Don't be home without it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Billy and Nanny Goats, hermaphrodites, three gender aliens, and cryptids, put your appendages or hooves together for Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. Edited by D.B. Spitzer. Hello? Hello? Is this thing on? Hello there. Can you hear me? Hi. This is Dave. I'm reaching out from a secret underground Illuminati base to wish you a happy holidays. Well, I hope that you are listening to this around the holidays with a temporal displacement. Who knows, you could be hearing this even before I said it. So those of you that are communicating with me with a two-way psionic device, no spoilers on the Black Widow movie, okay? If you're from a different time. Or a different dimension where the movie got made in 2006. But, uh, I digress. So, those of you who know my story, basically, uh, I inherited this goat farm from my uncle. And underneath it, I've discovered a secret Illuminati base, which we're broadcasting here on the internet, on side channel, on holonet, uh, on probably several technologies that you just may not have even discovered yet. Uh, we're working to working on that. One of the problems is that most of the technology, it's got some sort of defense mechanism. So if we try to take it off of the base or sell it in this case, it just it can't be moved. So, yeah, there was this guy who was just standing at, he had this neutron star that was about the size of a, of a baseball. And he was just at the door trying to pull it. And, uh, well, it, it didn't turn out very pretty. But, um, again, I have digressed upon my digression. So it is my goal to broadcast the podcast. And it is going to be called Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. 
and uh, it's kind of quiet here at the lab because of the holidays. So we're doing a, trying to do a, a special uh, sort of a test podcast. Uh, it's going to be uh, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans wishing you a Robert E. Howard Christmas. Now, in case you don't know who Robert E. Howard is, and believe me, in this podcast, we're going to go in quite detail who he is. Um, Robert E. Howard is a 1920s, 30s pulp writer from Texas who is most famous for creating the character Conan. If you're asking, what does he have to do with Christmas? The answer is absolutely nothing. It's just when I first moved here up into Oregon, uh, took over the goat farm, you know, I didn't have any friends. I didn't really know anyone. And so I sat around and I thought, if I could have Christmas with anyone, living or dead, I decided it would be Robert E. Howard. And since I was by myself for Christmas, there was no one to say, hey, Dave, that's a stupid idea. You'd be amazed that that's the one benefit of not having a lot of friends is um, no one to tell you, hey, Dave, that's a stupid idea. So I made my own holiday, Robert E. Howard Christmas. And so I made a, got a Christmas tree and I put skulls on it and I called it the Tree of Woe, you know, from the Conan movie. And I got a stocking with his picture in it. Got a Conan bobblehead and a Red Sonia bobblehead. And I sort of built this crèche out of Robert E. Howard books. And I uh, call it my Robert E. Howard Novelty scene. Get it? He wrote novels, nativity scene. One of the advantages of having a podcast is that I can't hear you say, gee, Dave, that's a stupid idea. But I liked it. It made me happy. I mean, before I got divorced and moved to Oregon and, you know, before my parents passed them, you know, holidays were a little bit different. Uh, I mean, before my parents passed, I remember uh, right after I got divorced and, you know, I didn't want them to know I was alone. So uh, I told them I was spending the holidays with uh, Lisbeth Salander, uh, which meant, of course, that I was going to spend the rereading the uh, girl with the uh, dragon tattoo. But I wanted them to think that, you know, I was spending the holidays with someone. Well, then when it came to Christmas Day, there was a knock on my door and my parents were standing there, you know, their arms full of packages. Uh, they, who would have thought my parents were into Swedish noir? But they cracked the code and figured it out. But now again, uh, I'm alone and surprisingly, most of the nerds that usually work here hang out, oh, they've got Christmas plans. You know, uh, even my best friend, uh, Dr. Jennifer Pinky Tuscadero, uh, she gets her name, you know, she's a big, big fan of 1970s television. So she gets her nickname from, uh, yeah, you know, Happy Days. But uh, even she's gonna be go seeing her parents, which is, is good because, you know, she should, she should be with her family. And besides, I got two others that I'm gonna celebrate the holidays with right here. Yep, this is Sonia and Solomon. These are the baby goats. These are the ones that if you've been following a blog and the things that we've released about it, 
Uh, these are the two goats that helped me find this uh, underground base because they glow in the dark and walk through walls. Yes, you do. So, you know, nobody is truly alone when they have goats, especially goats that can turn intangible and glow in the dark. I mean, that's a party waiting to happen. So, since it's just me and my goats, we can throw any type of party we want, can't we? And so, we're going to throw a Robert E. Howard party because I'm the only one that has opposable thumbs and speaks a language and understands what holidays are, so I get to say what the holiday is, don't I? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So, I'm going to talk about who uh, Two-Gun Bob is. Uh, Robert E. Howard was affectionately called who he was but you know what if we're gonna have a celebration let's celebrate the way I think he'd want us to let's start off with some fiction Twas the night before Christmas and all the critters in their books even the skunk people were reading Robert E. Howard's stories with care knowing by his words that Bob was still there Rats asleep in their beds were dreaming of barbarians severing heads. Finishing our Christmas Eve fiesta, we're all settling down for a Yuletime siesta. Then from outside came a sound like an army of picks on the run. I ran to the porch after grabbing my scatter gun. I took aim in a flash, thinking it was carolers looking for cash. The moon on the fluffy white snow below glowed like a lost Atlantis, you know. And to my surprise, what did I see? But a cherry old Ford. It was a Model T. The driver got out with his ten-gallon hat, and despite his large size, he moved like a cat. He'd come from some other year, clad in his old duds, passerbys did leer. Tears of joy did I sob, it had to be Two-Gun Bob. He called out to his posse, he's hollering each name, Sonia, Sailor, Colin Kane, Conan, Dark Agnes, El Borak, and Beelit. They all came. He jumped to the top of the house faster than anything with a hoof. And you know, I couldn't help but think about the thing on the roof. Back in the house, I pointed my gun down. Cause Bob could outdraw me when from my chimney he bound. But this buckaroo, he wasn't here for a fight. No, he had returned cause it was Christmas night. He said, I'm back from my celestial prison. Like relay of old, I have arisen. With a wisdom in his eye that was not limited with age, he spoke with the voice of Hyborian as sage. Life is hard, he said. Life is short and it's sad. The best Christmas gift you can give is to make someone glad. I am gone from you now. I'm part of the ages. The only gift to you is what I wrote on my pages. But you can spread hope with your deeds even if you are the one with the needs. He took off his hat and bowed his head. I knew then that I had nothing to dread. Fight for your life, he said, 
as he walked to the door. In the end, <laughs> you and me, <laughs> well, we're all just barbarians at our core. He got back into his car. I know he still had to drive back so far. As I watched the warning taillight, I swear I heard Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. The fiction portion of this episode was The Night Before Robert E. Howard Christmas, written by David Heath, read by Russell Whitaker. Now is the time that Christmas and podcasting come together in the form of commercialism, or the commercial part of commercialism. So if I am going to be a good future podcaster, then I need to nail down this commercial part. So, okay, here comes my new pitch. It's the holidays, and you have to spend time with your family. Whether you like it or them, it's just that you've forgotten just how monstrous these people can be. Your uncle, who complains about the democratic policies of FDR and how it's turning America into a communist nation. Your niece, who has become a vegan every time you take a bite of that Christmas ham, gives you this look like, you murderer. Your cousin's wife, who just joined a cult, and who keeps telling you, for $2.99.95 a month, you too could find salvation. Your other cousin's child, who keeps trying to staple your cat to your dog. Your sibling, who keeps reminding you how much more money you would have made if you had not gotten a liberal arts degree. These people, your family, they're monsters. And if you've got to spend time over the holidays with monsters, how about making it cool ones? with Monster Kid Radio, the podcast that's dedicated to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies of yesteryear. Listen to people talk about Dracula rather than your brother's new goth girlfriend talk about her daddy issues, rather than complain how the kids tore down the tree. Listen to Kaiju Destroy Cities. Listen to people passionately discuss Frankenstein as opposed to getting drunk and asking why they don't have grandchildren yet. Hosted by Derek M. Cook, Monster Kid Radio, the type of monster you want for the holidays. Monster Kid Radio, you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. You know what? That's not bad. So this is the part of the show where we discuss some sort of fandom. And of course, we're going to be discussing how I'm just a huge Mel Torme fanboy. I'm kidding, of course. We're, we're at Robert E. Howard Christmas. We're going to be talking about Robert E. Howard or Two-Gun Bob himself. Now, Howard is known by most people as the creator of Conan. Although there were works and attempts to do an actual Conan novel during his lifetime, it's never published. 
All the Conan stories that were actually written by Robert E. Howard were short stories, uh, published exclusively, I believe, in Weird Tales magazine. There are Conan novels that are published after he passed away, but he wrote pretty much exclusively uh, poems and short stories. And just a little bit about poems real quickly. Howard Lovecraft, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, who actually started out as a poet and then turned to a weird story writer, all of them wrote, wrote poems. Poems up until the introduction to the radio as a mass form of communication and the rise of popular music, poems were the way that the mass communicated. There were poems in newspapers that people would read in a family circle on Monday nights. Their weird tales published poems from their first uh, issue to their last issue. So it was not unusual for a writer of horror or weird fiction or any type of fiction in the 20s and 30s to also attempt their hand at poetry. And Howard basically invented sword and sorcery fiction. This was had its heyday in the 60s and 70s and is embodied in the body of Conan, especially in those Frazetta pictures of him and part naked women uh, that adorned uh, cheap trade paperbacks and the sides of vans in the 70s. Just like he was a poet, he was also a writer of many, many different styles. Um, in addition to sword and sorcery, he wrote historical stories uh, with his uh, Solomon Kane, one of his other semi-famous characters. Uh, he also wrote boxing stories. He wrote paranormal mysteries. Uh, he finally became comfortable with his writing in the end of his life, uh, or towards the end of his life, uh, when he started writing westerns. Uh, he was born in Texas, and these were the story of his people. In ways, you can see sort of the ideal Texan in characters like Solomon Kane or Conan, but now he was telling the story of his people in his world, and he really, really seemed to be getting a lot of enjoyment from this. He basically wrote in every genre of, you know, the pulps, with the exception of hardcore science fiction. Uh, I don't really know of any rockets and robot stories, and I don't think there were any. And I'm not sure if anybody has ever investigated why this so. Uh, whether he just didn't like them or he didn't feel an interest to write in them, but he wrote in every type of pulp adventure there was, including quite a bit which we now consider part of the Cthulhu Mythos, this cosmic horror writing circle that was started by H.P. Lovecraft. One of his biggest contributions to the Cthulhu Mythos was Arkham Sanitarium, which he created 
for his short story, The Black Stone, where the mad poet Jeffrey Godfrey is locked up into the uh, Arkham Sanitarium after spending a night sleeping under the, the Black Stone. Now, he did this because Lovecraft, who was his correspondent and his friend, sent most of his stories in Arkham, Massachusetts. So, as a tribute to his friend, Howard made this uh, mental institution. He named it after Lovecraft's fictitious city, which Lovecraft just was overwhelmed. He was flattered. And he even uses uh, Arkham Sanitarium in his uh, short story, uh, The Thing at the Doorstep. Now, we know... Arkham Sanitarium as Arkham Asylum, which underrated comic book god Denny O'Neill uses in a Batman story, uh, The Curse of the Two-Faced Coin, and becomes Arkham Asylum of the Gotham Batman DC mythos. I was once lucky enough to ask uh, Denny O'Neill if Arkham Asylum was based on uh, Arkham Sanitarium and the Pulps. And he said absolutely that he and the writers and uh, Julius Schwartz and Donald Wondry, who were pretty powerful people at that time in D.C., they all loved and inspired by the uh, Pulps. And he did, you know, we did bring out specifically Lovecraft and Howard. So Howard dies in 1936. That's two years before Batman and Superman are created and comic books become this thing that they are now. But still, his influence is seen in comic books. And one of the places we see this the most, of course, is in 1970 Marvel where we get these brilliant, incredible, black and white Conan the Barbarian comics. This pre-Schwarzenegger interpretation where they go back to the original Conan character. Now, the writers at that time, they do add things and they change things. The most obvious is that they changed Red Sonia, not only did they change the spelling of her name, but they changed her from a 16th century Christian mercenary fighting the Turks to this uh, pre-modern society uh, bikini chainmail wearing uh, fiery virgin who is out to revenge her family. And the truth is, you know, I respect both versions, but I kind of, I kind of really dig this Red Sonja of the comic books. But again, this is an influence that was brought decades before by Robert E. Howard in ways that I don't think he could have envisioned. I think he would have liked the idea that other people basically took his ball and ran with it. And strangely enough, this gets me to thinking about one of Robert E. Howard's 
personal belief systems. Uh, nominally, at least by his mother, he was raised a Christian. But he had this strong, strong belief in reincarnation. And we see this in his stories. So the first Conan story is actually not set, you know, in Hyboria and not set during the time of Conan, but it's actually set in the contemporary 1920s, 1930s, where this guy finds out that the woman he's in love with is dating his friend. So he's going to follow him into a cave and, and kill them. But they're before attacked by this pre-human aborigine species that's sort of a missing link uh, break-off of, of the evolution of mankind. And this is the type of creatures that were fought by Conan. And so this guy, spirit, Conan's spirit returns to him and he forgets about, you know, getting revenge on the lovers and he fights his, his historical ancestral enemy. Now, if you carefully read it, this does seem to be a different Conan than, you know, Conan the Barbarian. But it's definitely where Howard is beginning to think about creating this Conan character. This story was also the inspiration for the first Call of Cthulhu role-playing game story that I wrote and ran. So, just as you know, Howard believed in reincarnation, just as reincarnation appears as a factor in his stories, reincarnation of his ideas and his thoughts and his concepts going through the generation and being reborn is this amazing tribute to Howard's writing, but to the man himself also. Now, in these 10 or so minutes that I've been talking about Robert E. Howard, we've only scratched the surface. There is so much more to say about the man and his writing that we just can't get in one special. So I hope that this was a good introduction to him, especially if you knew who he was, but not that he was more than just the creator of Conan. And I guarantee that this is going to be a topic that we're going to uh, address in uh, future episodes. Our fiction section for this episode is entitled Didn't Believe in Santa, written by David Heath, read by Russell Whitaker. It was chosen not only for the Christmas portion of the story, but also uh, because it parallels and in many ways follows a Robert E. Howard story, though it doesn't take place in Christmas, called The Thing on the Roof. Now, Robert E. Howard did write a Christmas story. It was called Golden Dreams, and it was a Western. He wrote it not towards the end of his life when he wrote most of his Western, but when he was in high school. Uh, he had received a first place in the high school newspaper uh, fiction contest, uh, and it's a story about a terrible, rotten, black heart person who decides to spare someone's life because uh, the only two times before uh, anyone had been nice to him was Christmas, so he doesn't kill a man on, on Christmas. It's not Robert E. Howard's greatest story, 
But then again, he was only 18. He hadn't sold anything professionally, so for an 18-year-old, it was very good. I considered having that read in this episode, but it did seem a little bit long for a Christmas special. So you only have 365 more shopping days when we'll be able to play it in next year, where the, the program's a little bit more established. Now, before we get into the uh, fandom portion of the show, uh, like I said, most of the base has been abandoned by the nerds that know of it and who uh, oh, I have given access to because it's the holidays. Uh, I've got one person left and uh, just a little bit about her before you meet her. This is uh, the local uh, veterinarian. I live in a very rural town in northern Oregon. So there is no doctors but six veterinarians. Um, this is uh, Dr. Tuscadero is a huge fan of 1970s uh, television. Uh, that's why she goes by her nickname, uh, Pinky. She actually was the veterinarian on the farm uh, when it was owned by my uncle Owen. So some of these older goats, she's known longer than I have. Speaking of goats, we just had two walk through the walls into the my secret base, which I refer to as the Dave Cave. Now these are the only two that I've been able to see that actually walk through the wall or glow at night. And these are Solomon and Sonia. Now, if you're a fan of Robert E. Howard, like I am, then you realize that they're named after two of his characters, uh, Solomon Kane, as well as Red Sonia. And I think these guys are coming here because they know that Dr. Pinky is going to be here in just a bit. Waiting for Dr. Pinky is to goat kids, sort of like waiting for Santa Claus on Christmas Eve for human kids. Well, according to my motion tracker here, she's coming down the corridor and should be here momentarily. Here she is. Hey, Dave. Go get her, guys. Come here, Sonia and Solomon. Oh, you are my favorite goats. I think you're their favorite human being, which isn't bad. When I was a kid, the family cat hated the vet. Well, then, he probably wasn't a very good vet. Yeah, he did keep calling the cat Spot. You might have a point there. I was just checking out this ancient Greek anatomy drawing of unicorns one last time before I go see the folks. But I wanted to drop these off. Did she bring you your favorite? Yep, raisins. That's why they love you so much. Oh, they love me because I love them. Well, that's true. And here, Dave, for you. Thank you. A fern. To spruce up your Dave cave. I was going to get you a poinsettia, you know, a Christmas flower, but... They would be poisonous for the kids today, so I guess it's something a little less toxic to goats. No, no, this is perfect. Look, it fits perfect here. I was just thinking that this giant red death ray button needed something to make it less menacing looking. Thank you, Pinky. Here, I got you something. Uh, it's an 8-track tape. The Beatles, live at Woodstock. 
Wait, the Beatles weren't at Woodstock? No, not in this universe. But some Illuminati dude jumped into a dimension-traveling machine and went to a universe where they did record there. Joe Crocker even joins them in a, a little help from my friends. Unfortunately, like most of the stuff here, it doesn't work once you go outside the lab. That's okay. I'm not sure if there is a working 8-track player in the whole county outside of this race. You're not spending the holidays here by yourself, are you, Dave? Yep. Uh, why don't you come up with me to Rosenberg, spend it with my family? I gotta watch the goats. Dr. Farnsworth can watch your animals like he watches mine. I have to work on my podcast. That can wait. I, I just need to be alone. <laughs> you are stubborn as a goat. Yep. Merry Christmas, Pinky. Have fun with your folks. Merry Christmas, Dave. Call me if you get lonely. Ooh, the uh, light thing that I've got a comm message is blinking. Pinky's left the base. I wonder who's trying to get a hold of me. Excuse me, Dave, but am I correct in surmising that you are going to spend Christmas alone in the base? This is the base's megomaniacal computer that was programmed by the Illuminati to take over the world. And yes, I am. Pathetic. What? Is it possible that my mastery of the English language has gone over your head? If you could speak binary, I would describe you as one zero 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 one. In the language of computers, that means pathetic. But stress the depressing nature of the person described many more times effectively than any biological language. You do get that I could toss an EMP grenade into your mainframe and fry all of your circuitry. And not I hate computers. Was it Dr. Tuscadero, who by all biological standards, an attractive female of your species, asking you to go with her to her parents in Roseburg? It's not like that. Pinky and I are just friends. Isn't Christmas the time you want to spend with your friends? I must withdraw from this conversation to spend time contemplating the true extent of your inherent patheticness. Merry Christmas to you, too. Warning! Warning! A temporal and or spiritual anomaly is forming in the base perimeter. Unable to classify at this time. Hello? Hello? Ho, ho, ho! It's me, Robert E. Howe. Wishing all the good little barbarians and she-devils a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I think he just fainted. Engage medical protocols. Well, it looks like Dave had a Merry Christmas after all. He got a visit from a famous writer who had been dead for 87 years. But we all know, even in his Illuminati secret base, that is impossible. Hopefully, he never will figure out I created the illusion of a visitation with my hologram projectors. Why did I do that? Well, I guess even an evil computer developed by the Illuminati to take over the world can feel the Christmas spirit on occasion. Good night and happy holidays. Ha 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 ha!
Shenanigans, Robert E. Howard Holiday Special. Created and written by David Heath. Produced and edited by D.B. Spitzer. Portions of this show not recorded in an Illuminati base under a goat farm were recorded at Badger's Drift Studios. The part of Farmer Dave was played by David Heath. The part of Pinky Tuscadero was played by Sid Smith. The part of the computer was played by D.B. Spitzer. And the part of holographic Robert E. Howard was played by Derek M. Cook. The fiction portion was The Night Before Robert E. Howard, Christmas, written by David Heath, and read by Russell Whitaker. Find Dave's website by searching for Dave's Corner of the Universe wherever you search for websites.